Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Stefano Tsitsipas has defended his title at Monte Carlo 2022, and he's picked up his second career Masters 1000 title. As you can tell by the previous sentence, they both come at the same place. Ends the run of Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, who beat Novak Djokovic in the second round and then went all the way to the final which I don't think anybody was expecting either of those things to happen, the win against Djokovic, or to take that and to turn it into the best week of his career by far, first ever final at the ATP level, and obviously comes at a Masters, which is incredible. Going to get into where he's at, how he goes from here, some takeaways on the run, some takeaways on Pass and what this mean, win means for him, as well as, of course, as always, tactical breakdowns, uh, getting into the plus one on both sides, Pass more effective on that shot. Interesting numbers on Davidovich Fokina's serve year by year that I'm excited to show you guys. It'll explain how he's trying to make that leap and get to the next level, and I think we saw some of that this week. Uh, Tsitsipas's slice and his uh, his slice defense in particular continues to be a development and a theme. Not like it was a major thing in this match like it was in the semifinal against Verev, but I do want to talk about that and the Thomas Enquist effect and how we're seeing some changes and some improvements in Tsitsipas's game with the, the arrival of Thomas Enquist. Uh, Fakina's shot selection a little bit and, and how he was playing his tactics. And um, yeah, that's kind of on the menu. French Open Power Rankings, everyone. The next edition will uh, is first on the list, though, before we get into the match. I will also say, uh, before I get to that, um, just so you know, Monday Match Analysis is available on all podcast platforms if you're a podcast listener. And uh, I'd I just want to make that known. I like to say it every once in a while. Uh, link is in the description. If you leave a rating and a review, that is uh, appreciated. All right, time to get to the French Open Power Rankings. Uh, this is what they looked like on April 8th, last week, before the tournament began. And we have quite a bit of movement. I am going to reveal now the French Open Power Rankings on April 17th. And we have some changes, starting with the top. Stefano Tsitsipas. Leapfrogs Novak Djokovic and goes to number one in the power rankings. Of course, Nadal injured. When he comes back, he'll go back in the power rankings. Same thing I do with everyone, guys. I did this with Federer last year. He didn't go in until he played Geneva. Then he went in. I'm just going to do the same thing here. Um, so sorry if uh, you don't agree with that decision. Power rankings, by the way, I also saw some confusion in the comments. Power rankings mean... Uh, what I try to do with those is I take the predictive side out of it. I, it. Nothing about what I think is going to happen in the future is factored into my French Open power rankings. It's all about past performance, historically, and recently. With an emphasis on recently, because that's more important, quite frankly. So it's all about what I'm seeing from how they're playing in the past. No future forecasting. So Pass. Takes over Novak Djokovic's number one spot. I'll get to why in a second. But let's first look at the next out. You have Riley Opelka didn't play last week, which I think is fine. 
Uh, Monte Carlo isn't mandatory for, for anyone, actually, interestingly enough. So Opelka skips it. He gets to kind of stay put. Let's see what happens in Madrid. I think I think he'll be dangerous there. Uh, Taylor Fritz had a better week than I was expecting. I thought he'd be dead after all the tennis he's played, and he played Houston. But uh, no, he he beat Sebastian Corda. He looked a little bit shaky, but Corda had just beaten Alcaraz. And then um, what did he do after that? Fritz um, ended up losing to Davidovich Fakina in third set. And he beat Chilich as well. So uh, Fritz gets to keep his spot. Hubert Hurkacz is an addition to the next out. He was not on my radar at all. He went 1-4 on clay last year. And already has a lot more wins like that. Makes the quarterfinal here. Um, beats a lot of uh, a lot of established players on clay. I wasn't really expecting it. Now, I wasn't actually impressed with his level really this week. I just thought he served incredibly well. He beat Hugo Delian, Pedro Martinez, and Albert Ramos Vinolas. So none of those players are good clay court. I mean, sorry, none of those players are great just, you know, players in general right now in terms of, I don't know, top 30. I'll say none of them are top 30 players. But on clay, they're all clay court specialists. So uh, it was eye-opening, and Hercoc, of course, being the top 10 player that he is, if he continues this pace, then he has a chance to make it inside the power rankings. Now, if I were to predict, I actually don't think he'll be able to keep his spot, uh, but uh, we'll see. Again, I thought he was kind of relying on his serve this week. Credit to him, serving unbelievably well. Miramir Kecmanovic did not play last week, so he gets to also just stay in that next out spot. Um, and now we go into the top 10. Alejandro Davidovich Fakina moves into number 10 after making the final in Monte Carlo. I'm going to get into more of this, but he's got a lot to prove, okay? I mean, so amazing run. I would say the, the bottom of these power rankings, after Schwartzman, it gets a little bit murky, and it's hard to really think of who should be there. So if you're going to make the final in Monte Carlo, you get to go there, but... I'll be impressed if Davidovich Fakina is able to hold his positioning. Let's see what happens. Cam Nori knocked down two spots, lost to Albert Ramos Vinolas again. He's lost to him four times in his career, lost to him in the Estoril final. Uh, it's a little strange. You'd think Nori should be able to uh, get the better of that matchup, but he's struggled. And as a result, he moves down two spots and with uh, not a lot of big tournament Clay runs on his resume. He's certainly someone who's going to need to pick things up if he wants to stay in the power rankings. Diego Schwartzman moves up one spot. It could have been more potentially if he had finished the deal against Stefano Tsitsipas, but uh, Schwartzman has uh, a pretty good week, an encouraging week, much better than he started last clay court season. Beats Karen Hatchinov, beats Marton Fucevic, beats Lorenzo Musetti, and has Tsitsipas on the ropes up for love in the third set. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that he was in that position and he didn't win. Kind of a, a double-edged sword there, but Schwartzman comes in at number eight. Andre Rublev moves up one spot and goes up to number seven. Look, I think Andre is playing great. Beat Alex Dimonor. I think Andre is playing great in every area except one which is his second serve, and he's getting destroyed, and it's killing his results. And Sinner just, again, obliterated him in, in that category. Demonor did not take advantage, but he could have. I, I 
uh, was on commentary for that match for T2, uh, Tennis Channel's new network on Samsung TV+. Plus. Uh, I mean, Demon Or just didn't do the right things, but we saw Kyrgios exploited it uh, at Indian Wells, and it's going to be, uh, and Fritz exploited it in Miami. It's going to be um, a problem. I might have, sorry, I got those reversed. Uh, Fritz and Indian Wells and Kyrgios in Miami. Um, other than that, I think he can be great on clay. He sustains aggression so well. His forehand's a great weapon on, on the clay, and he can find a lot of them, which is a common theme. But it's just if the second serve doesn't get better, it's going to keep putting a ceiling on how well he can do against certain competition. Kasparud moves down two spots to number six. Um, Rude with a, uh, again, on the same kind of windy day that uh, Alcaraz lost on where it was kind of difficult for everyone. He loses to Grigor Dimitrov, who was more consistent on the day. I uh, beat Holger Rune. A uh, disappointing result for Rude. However, you do give him a little bit of a pass because it, it is difficult to go deep in Miami and then to do well in Monte Carlo. The statistics fleshed that out. That was probably an error of mine when I was uh, making my picks for this tournament is I did pick Carlos Alcaraz and Casper Rude, both to do very, very well in Monte Carlo. And both of them lost in the same windy morning early in the tournament. And, uh, you know, it's difficult. So I should probably in the future be a little bit more weary to pick players to recover from Miami and do well at Monte Carlo like I did at this event. But Rude is still penalized for that result, and he moves down two spots, as is Carlos Alcaraz, who lost first round to Sebastian Corda. You know, Alcaraz with, again, with a lot to be desired when it comes to his clay court resume, because last year he wasn't the same player that he is this year. Uh, his spot, you know, is vulnerable, and he does need to prove himself. He had an incredible march, but uh, he's going to need to put in some results to kind of prove to everyone that he is a top contender. People's eyes are telling, you know, our eyes, I think, for the most part, are telling us that he is, and his results certainly suggested that he is in March, uh, but let's see if he continues to keep it going. The reason he moves down two spots is he's leapfrogged by the next two players in the power rankings, Yannick Sinner moves up to number four. Um, Sinner continues to show amazing grit and resolve, as I talked about in my post-match video after his match with Zverev, which went to a third set tiebreak. He very nearly went to the semifinals, where I, I don't think he had a chance to win the tournament because he was physically breaking down with the foot blisters and possibly some some fatigue issues as well. But he fought so well. Win over Andre Rublev. Win over Emil Rusevori. Win over Borna Choric. Uh, those are three quality wins right there. And Sinner just continues to find a way. And his record is outstanding in 2022. And the clay suits him very well. It it allows him to put a lot of returns in play, to get into a lot of rallies where he can use his power combined um, with, well, mostly his his baseline prowess with his baseline power game. Uh, he's not as punished. He's not as much punished for having the, the weaker first serve as much as he is on some other surfaces. And I think he looks incredibly comfortable moving on the clay as well. So, Sinner moves into the top four. Zverev jumps up three spots. Look, Zverev, he's won every single clay court Masters other than Monte Carlo. Makes it to the semifinals here for the second time. He did it as well in 2018. He's also got some uh, some 
very solid results at Roland Garros as well. So given that resume, despite the fact that he still, I think, has put in a couple of concerning results so far in 2022. Now, maybe the leg had something to do with how disappointing the performance was against Tsitsipas in the semifinal. Uh, but I don't know that for sure. I don't know that for a fact. It wasn't obvious. It wasn't like something that was really blatant as far as certain, you know, injuries go. Uh, but, you know, maybe he gets a pass for that. But the the fact is, I think the concern is that a couple of the biggest matches of Zverev's season have just gone terribly for him. Again, makes the semifinals in Monte Carlo with the clay court resume he has. He moves up to number three. Plain and simple, he has to. Uh, there, I just couldn't justify putting anyone above him. Novak Djokovic moves down to number two. Uh, bad performance against Davidovich Fakina. Ran out of gas, clearly wasn't in shape, but given everything he's accomplished and given the pattern that he generally gets better after Monte Carlo, uh, we wait and see, and he remains at number two. Let's see how he does in Belgrade. It's going to be, I think, important for him to at least get some matches under his belt and uh, to try to build up that fitness again. And Stefano Tsitsipas goes to number one after winning Monte Carlo. It is now the second year in a row that Stefano Tsitsipas comes out of Monte Carlo as the ATP Tour wins leader, and it is so clear the benefits that the clay has on his game. Reigning Roland Garros finalist, you can't say enough about how impressive he often is on the clay court. Even if you look at his losses, as someone commented on one of my recent videos, he only loses to the very, very best in the world on clay in uh, in recent times. And there are really no exceptions to that. So there it is, French Open Power Rankings. And with that, we get into the match. After a quick shout-out to Player Court. Player Court is the place to go if you're looking for a local coach, practice partner, or match. The number one reason people quit tennis is because they can't find anyone to play with. Player Court's mission is for that to not happen, and I love that mission. So I've arranged a 50% discount for you to join the Player Court community at the link in the description, playercourt.com slash gilgross. 50% discount to join the Player Court community at that link. Where shall we start? Let's go big picture. Important statement win for Stefano Tsitsipas, given the way the last 10 months have gone since losing the RG final in Novak Djokovic from two sets to love up. It has not been convincing stuff from him since then. He has still been a top 10 player, uh, but he's just failed to really play well against the best on a consistent basis, evidenced by his... 3-7 and seven record against top 10 competition coming into this week, evidenced by the fact that he had lost his last four matches against top 20 players coming into the week. This week, he beats two top 20 players. Both are, if we look at it, top 10 players on clay, Alexander Zverev and Diego Schwartzman. Then he arrives in the final, handles the pressure as a big favorite in a Masters 1000 final. And does so as defending champion. So it is a win that says I'm still the man or a man on this surface. I am still as good as anyone on this surface. And that if your name is not Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, 
then you should not be at Carlos Alcaraz, maybe given the head to head, then you should not be confident against me. And it's a message to the locker room. And it's a message to everyone that he is fine and that he is, you know, he can still be uh, an elite player who's ready to win big titles because he just won another big title here at Monte Carlo. So massive win for him. Everyone could feel that he needed it given the way things have gone. And I don't think anyone should be surprised by it because there's there was no reason that the struggles were going to continue. And there was plenty of reason that they that they were happening. There were a lot of there were a lot of reasons that you can point to that were making life difficult on Tsitsipas post Roland Garros, from family tragedy to elbow injury to change of strings. Uh, obviously, that that went along with the offseason surgery to the fact that. He was working on some things with a new coach, Thomas Enquist, to the fact that he was on indoor hard courts um, playing tournaments that he probably shouldn't have been playing in the first place. You know, there were a lot of reasons you can come up with, but it still wasn't a good look, uh, the fact that, that, he was, uh, that he was losing. So, again, uh, I think a, a predictable yet important bounce back for Tsitsipas here. And let's see how he moves forward. Alejandro Davidovich Fakina shows us the power of belief after beating Novak Djokovic. So many players talk about the fact that, look, they have that, sig that, that signature win and it helps them tell themselves, oh, I'm that good. I really am. I can do this. And that just goes such a long way. I uh, there's a story I, I like that I heard recently that I that I remember, um, and I'm not remembering exactly. I don't know if it was Vilas, but uh, Jimmy Arias was telling a story recently. Uh, former top five player, he actually lost to someone in like the first round, and then that player went on to win the title. But he was right there. He lost in like a third set tiebreaker or whatever. The match was close. That gave him the belief of oh. If I just did that, and then he just won the title, then I can do this. And that jump-started Jimmy Aris's career. So that kind of thing happens all the time. And it, it it just shows the power of belief. Now, sometimes there's a letdown. So it doesn't always work like that. But in this case, it was it was belief by Davidovich Fikina. And, um, you know, he beats—oops, my bad. Uh, he beats Novak, and then he beats David Gaffan, who might have been a little bit gassed at that point. He beats Taylor Fritz, who also might have been a little bit gassed at that point, and then he beats Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, good win in Monte Carlo. You know, Grigor's always good here. Uh, no, like, no super insane wins, uh, which is part of the reason why I do think he has plenty more to prove. Plenty more. Came into this tournament with a 4-9 record in 2022. One top 50 win. Wasn't having a great year. Also wasn't on clay. And clay's his best surface. I'm, I've been a huge fan of his talents for a very long time. Don't get it twisted. He's been my, my dark horse pick before in previews. I've sung his praises. I sung his praises at the start of 2021. Whenever anybody was telling me, Gil, who's the guy to watch outside the top 30? Who's going to break through in 2021? I was saying Davidovich Fakina. With that being said... I'm not sure about anything as a result of this. I would not be surprised if if he continues to have difficulties breaking through as a consistent top 25 player. I would not be surprised if 
this is the turning point. And he starts playing like a top 25 guy week in and week out. But I don't think anything is guaranteed here. He has not sustained the kind of results that would suggest that there is a trajectory here that is foolproof, right? No, it hasn't been like that. This is one week kind of out of nowhere, incredible week, incredible run, but nothing really built up to it. And as a result, uh, I'm not... I'm not confident about anything. I'm not confident that this is going to turn in to something bigger uh, in the career of Alejandro Davidovich Fakino. What I will guarantee you is that he's going to continue to be uh, a player to watch, incredibly entertaining, really unique skill set, amazing talent, special athlete. And I don't feel like the, the tools and the pieces have been put together in a way that is going to lead itself to consistency, if we're being honest. Uh, but that could certainly come, and maybe it maybe it's come, um, maybe it's come now, and it's here to stay. I'm just saying, I'm not I'm not positive about that. Getting into the match itself, well, you know, first of all, just to get this out of the way, Tsitsipas is going to have a big edge in free points, in first serve potency. You know that coming in. First serves unreturned, 39% for Tsitsipas, 14% for Davidovich Fakina, averaging 108 miles per hour on serve and not really hitting his spots either. That's not going to get it done, right? You're just never going to get, you're never going to get free points like that, uh, which is okay. Um, again, I think, it leaves a little bit desired when it comes to setting up plus one balls too. And we'll get into that because that was key. Uh, but you just knew that that was going to be a mismatch. So uh, w with that, now it becomes, okay, how are we making up for that if we're Davidovich Fakina? Um, but I, I want to talk about Fakina's serve a quick aside before we get to these plus one balls. Fakina's serve has been an issue in his career but less so this year. And it goes a little bit against what I was saying uh, because if there's something that suggests that Fakina's ready to, to really make a, a sustainable leap here, this is it. I'm pull up some stats here. Uh, Fakina's first ser uh, serve stats. He's at a career high hold percentage right now um, of 75%, 74.9. Now that comes from... A couple things. Mainly, his second serve points won, which is up huge. It go, went from 48% last year to 54.5% this year, which is just absolutely enormous. Uh, career high in first serves in as well, and a career low in double fault rate, 3% down from 3.7 last year. So it is very, very clear that he's serving the best he's ever served in his career, which is a direct result of changes that he made to his technique in the offseason. He uh, he was too straight-armed in his trophy position. That was the big problem. And now he's getting that nice kind of high elbow bend again, to, to put it simply. How do I know that it's his serve? How do I know that he's not just playing better tennis all around? Well, if you look at his return points one percentage, he's actually down... 0.2%. Um, so, 
and then his serve points one percentage, he's up one and a half percent. And I know these sound like small small numbers. The sample size for this is huge, like thousands of points, because it's every single match. So it's never going to be uh, never going to be a huge disparity. It's going to be small differences because the sample size is so big. Uh, but that tells you the fact that that all of these things are better on service points one and hold percentage and second serve points one, and they're not better on return suggests that it's not that Davidovich is just a better all-around player. It's that actually the serve itself is making the difference. And I've observed that. I think that's the number one thing that can explain, besides the belief of beating Djokovic and, and having that kind of signature performance, that can explain why Davidovich is able to do what he can do. Because his serve has completely held him back. It's completely killed him in, in his career so far. And now it's still not a strength, but it's killing him less. It's killing him much less. So for Tsitsipas, having the serve advantage, um, not only is he going to get 40% first serves unreturned in this match, but Davidovich Fakina is not getting it to the Tsitsipas backhand on returns. Just not happening. Not happening for him at all. I didn't... I didn't chart this specifically. Matthew Willis at the racket, um, who you can follow at Matt Racket, I believe, on, on Twitter. Uh, I, I believe he did chart this, and uh, he found that Davidovich Fakina made one return, first serve return, to the Tsitsipas backhand. Did he even specify first serve? It might have just been one return. If so, it's quite frankly uh, a big failure on ADF's uh, part. Uh, but... Um, if that's the case, I remember which return it was. It was at 15.30 with Tsitsipas serving for the match. And I remember writing in my notes, best return of the match for Davidovich Fikina. Tsitsipas, he rushed him. Backhand side, no plus one opportunity. And I believe Tsitsipas actually missed the backhand. So, uh, there were no returns to the backhand. That is partially a failure in return skill by Davidovich Fikina. It is partially Tsitsipas's serving and his footwork. So let me show you this key point at love one to start the second set tie break. Obviously Tsitsipas doesn't want to start the breaker with a in a two love deficit. He goes with a kick serve first serve here and hits his spot short angle. Unfortunately, it's always hard to see the tennis balls on these screenshots, but uh kick serve first ball. Uh Davidov Chikina, I I kind of wish I took a freeze frame of the contact point, but he kind of uh has to stretch for the return, um, but he's able to get it back. And locationally, as you can see, Tsitsipas cheating to his left here. Uh, locationally, the return is actually way over on Tsitsipas's backhand side, but the return is too slow. And Tsitsipas uses his phenomenal footwork to move to his left and to hit this first forehand. And he hits it for a winner behind Davidovich Fikina who thought that Tsitsipas was going to go inside-in. Tsitsipas dominated in in this pattern, and, and he always does. It's a signature of his game, especially on clay. It's hard to get him to hit first ball backhands, and he's so good at doing damage with the first forehand or taking control of the point. So for Tsitsipas, free points edge, first forehand frequency, First forehand reliability. Tsitsipas on that on, on his plus one ball. Four finishes, 
four unforced errors, which is good on a slow court against a speedy opponent. Uh, and again, a lot of approach shots, and he finishes it on on the on the next ball in the rally, and it just puts him in an advantage in the point, even if he doesn't finish right away. So four to four, but generally in control of the point. Davidovich Fakina on the plus one ball. Four finishes, just like Tsitsipas, with nine unforced errors instead of four unforced errors. He was very inefficient on his plus one ball, Davidovich Fakina. He missed way too many, and it was a big problem for him. So now we can get into some of the shot selection issues that I think Davidovich Fakina deals with. Let's go to four all. And ADF hits a good, strong serve into Tsitsipas' backhand, although it's not a good location. And Tsitsipas just hits a very good return. It's deep in the court, and it forces Davidovich Fakina to move backwards and hit this forehand from deep behind the baseline, moving backwards, which must be, at this point in time, what do we have here? Fakina's court position, not good. Tsitsipas' court position, let's check, right in the middle of the court. So good. Uh, incoming ball, pretty deep. So, you know, average, right? Not weak, not strong, average. Um, those three factors, what kind of sh what should be Davidovich Fakina's intention? Trade. Don't attack. Trade. And he tries to hit this forehand huge. Puts a lot of steam behind it. And look at this miss. He misses by seven feet. The ball lands right by Tsitsipas' feet. Tsitsipas was seven feet behind the baseline. It lands right at his feet. What is that? In a, you know, on game point at, at four all, uh, after Davidovich Fikina did so much hard work to get to that point, that's just uh, a lot of these plus one balls I felt were overzealous by Davidovich Fikina because he was trying to do too much damage and it wasn't there for him. Uh, Pass was hitting good returns at times and Davidovich Fikina wasn't respecting the return and was trying to attack off it where really there was no attack to be had and it was the wrong shot. ADF shot selection is very volatile and sometimes I think he accepts a lot of unnecessary risk. With that being said, his unpredictability is part of what makes him who he is, part of what makes him difficult to play against. And I don't know how easy it's going to be for him to change that, but sometimes it can come back to bite him. And then some of those unforced errors were the right shot. Maybe he should attack and it was right there for him and he just missed. But regardless, if you watch the match, especially through the latter stages of the second set, he missed way too many first balls. Way too many. And frankly, he didn't make Pass work hard enough on the games that Stefanos broke serve on with the unforced errors. Um, now, in rally, well, yeah, yeah. I guess I'll I'll say just to to put a bow on this. Um, in the match, Tsitsipas wins points uh, zero through four shots, forty one to twenty seven, and that's a culmination of the free points on serve and the superior serve plus one, specifically serve plus forehand play that Tsitsipas 
was able to deploy. Um, let me just check uh, real quick because I, I don't have this off the top of my head. If, we go, if we're going to look at rallies 5+, plus, let's see if Titipas even had an advantage here. Uh, Davidovich Vikina won 33 points, and Steph won 30. Look at that. How about that? Fakina won the majority of the rallies in this match, huh? But serve advantage, serve plus one advantage, and that's what Tsitsipas needed here to win this match. All right, let's talk about the rallies, though. I do believe that Davidovich Fakina could have been better, especially in the first set. Uh, because I don't think that he was playing with a lot of focus to go to Tsitsipas' backhand. And it's it's very necessary to make Tsitsipas beat you with his backhand. Very necessary. In all aspects of the game. Tsitsipas doesn't defend on his backhand as well as he defends on his forehand. He does not trade on his backhand as well as he trades on his forehand. In other words, he gives up more short balls. Attackable balls. He does not attack on his backhand as well as he does on his forehand. In other words, you're less likely to get hurt. So, in all facets of the game, you must make Tsitsipas beat you with his backhand, which means, in simple terms, you got to make him hit backhands. Now, what? how do you do that? Do you just hit every ball to the ad side? Backhand side, backhand side, backhand side? No. You're never going to win like that. It's not, it's not the right thing. Uh, many have tried, many have failed for two reasons. One, Tsitsipas is going to be able to camp in that corner and hit a lot of forehands from the ad side, from the backhand side, which is the worst thing that you don't want if you're playing Tsitsipas. You can't let him hit forehands from the backhand side of the court. The other thing that will happen is Tsitsipas will hit backhands under no pressure whatsoever, again, because he's camping in that corner. And then you're just not going to get the purchase off of it. So you got to hit to the deuce side, but only to open up the ad side and then to go back there. So the way Alcaraz, what's really impressed me about the way Alcaraz has played Tsitsipas, what's really impressed me about the way Djokovic has always played Tsitsipas, uh, although, you know, you, that's what you expect, is the way you construct every baseline rally to go once to the forehand, then to the backhand. Then to the back, then to the forehand, then to the backhand. The key is never twice in a row to the forehand if you can help it. Never. Never let him hit two forehands in a row. That should be the goal. That should be the tactical focus. And again, you have to move him over to the forehand side in order to execute that. But I felt like Davidovich was uh, just playing um, without those patterns. And... In the first set, and he got better, by the way. And this is part of it is not a criticism, but it's an explanation of why he got better in the second set. So in set one, Tsitsipas hit 47 forehands and 25 backhands. In set two, Tsitsipas hit 80 forehands to 61 backhands. But uh, in the beginning of the set, it was much different than that. And uh, through, through the first three games, even, Tsitsipas had hit more backhands than forehands. Uh, but 80 to 61 as opposed to 47 to 25, that's a much better rate if you're Davidovich Fakina in set two. Could be even better, but it is tough. It is very difficult. Um, he definitely started playing through the backhand better and 
pressuring that side and pinning Pass into that corner better in the second set, which was a big reason why the second set was more competitive than the first set. Lastly, I want to talk about the Pass slice and the Thomas Enquist effect. I think, uh, technically speaking, and I highlighted this in the Zverev match, but technically speaking, um, it looks like they've cleaned up the footwork on the Pass slice, where he's not hitting an open stance as much, and he has his balance and his feet moving into that shot in a way that is giving his hands a better chance to do the right thing and to make it a good shot. I don't I think that what's changed is how fluid he looks in the lower body. Look, nobody hits an open hand uh, an open stance slice. No, nobody hits that shot. It's just you don't see it. Tsitsipas was the only guy hitting it like that and that should tell you something because his slice wasn't good and he was the only player who was not stepping towards the shot with his right foot and closing his stance. Um to, to hit that ball. You know, I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm not going to get further into it. It's just, I think the footwork has been a big difference and the balance. With that being said, slice defense. It's been a theme this week. It's been really good this week. I want to show you the next point after this four-all point where Davidovich overcooked the forehand that I showed you with the plus one ball and how many errors Davidovich made on the first ball. Um, the next point here at Deuce, Tsitsipas hits a return that pulls Davidovich wide, and again, ADF tries to destroy the first ball from a tough position. But this time, he hits it beautifully. This was actually an awesome shot. He absolutely crushed this. I, I think north of 90 miles per hour. But what's the reward here? Well, he wasn't in a great position to attack. So it doesn't finish the point. It's not good enough. Tsitsipas gets to it, hits this slice defense, and puts it short in the court, gives Davidovich from the midcourt a low contact point, and forces him in. Although, uh, Fakina nets this backhand. So uh, Tsitsipas doesn't need to play another ball. Uh, Tsitsipas breaks serve at this four-all game. And what happened? Let me tell you what happened on the, uh, on the next point. Um, Tsitsipas hits a forehand cross-court forced error. Really strong forehand angle there. And I, I have in my notes, did Fakina go to the forehand too much in that point? So maybe that's another theme. All of our themes coming together at this four-all game. But Davidovich Fakina played his best return game of the match with Tsitsipas serving at 5-4. And that's something I love about ADF. He relishes those moments, in my opinion. He loves the back against the wall and the crowd into it and a stadium going crazy and a big match. He elevates in those moments. It's probably one of my favorite things about him. And I actually meant to mention it earlier, but uh, I, I, I do want to shout out Davidovich for that because it's it's really a good quality that he has about him. Um, This slice defense, though, really effective against Davidovich as well, just like it was against Zverev. It wasn't quite as common as it was against Zverev, but let me show it to you on the forehand. And here's another example of the same exact pattern. Davidovich from well behind the baseline 
after a forehand inside in by Pass is going to try to counterattack and try to create offense from a defensive position. Sound familiar, guys? He's going to do it again. I mean, and again, I'm telling you, this is in Davidovich's game. I don't really like it, but I just think it is what it is with him. And sometimes he's going to make it, is all I can say. Uh, but again, he tries to absolutely crush this ball. And look at his weight. He's actually on the run here and jumps into this forehand. And as a result, Davidovich kills this ball. But by the time it gets to Tsitsipas, which is not a lot of time at all because it was a laser, uh, Davidovich is like still falling away from the court. And Tsitsipas with slice defense again, short slice defense, and it bounces inside the service box. I know it's hard to see the tennis ball, guys. I apologize. But inside the service box. And Davidovich has to dig a low backhand from the middle of the court. Tsitsipas loves this position here. He he knows he's going to have a good look at a pass here. And by the way, this is 4-1 in the second set tie break for those listening. Um, and Tsitsipas on the run here. Open stance backhand. Down the line is open, so Davidovich is going to sell out for the down the line, but Tsitsipas actually hits it cross-court, completely wrong foot's ADF. Uh, his racket, he has uh, left his hand. He throws the racket. I've circled the ball. I've circled the racket. They are not in the same place. And uh, that was pretty much the dagger with Tsitsipas going up 5-1 in the tiebreak. We've seen crazier things, but that felt like a must-win point for ADF. And again, it's the slice defense combined with Davidovich's tendency to attack from poor court positions, which opens up the short ball, the short defense, I should say. And again, so Tsitsipas uh, has so many options defensively on the clay. And I don't think the short defense, the short slice defense works better on the clay than it does on other surfaces, really, so to speak. In fact, it might be more of a, it might be better on the grass, depending on what the matchup is. But it's something to keep your eye on. And you have to credit Thomas Enquist with the progress that Pass has made on the slice. Because I know for a fact, I, I had seen it firsthand. Tsitsipas had been working very, very hard on his slice for over a year. Drilling and drilling and drilling and practicing and practicing. But at the end of the day, he wasn't getting the right advice. Because if you, if you practice bad habits over and over again, you are only cementing the bad habits. You are not going to get any better. And the difference has been Enquist, who has clearly given him different and better technical advice on the slice, and he's really improved that. I just showed you a forehand slice. By the way, the forehand slice has always been fine. I mean, specifically on the backhand. Um, but it is something that is, again, not going to be a weapon that suits him, you know, is not going to be more important on clay. But it will also come up on clay. Matchup dependent. A couple of times in, in a match as a changeup. These things are really positive and good to have for Pass, And it's a very, very good sign moving forward. So I will leave it at that. If you enjoy this kind of thing, remember you can come become a member by hitting the join button 
and uh, your donation of $2 a month. Thank you for everyone who is a member. And that is a big help for uh, securing the future, the long-term future of the channel. And uh, very appreciative for any of your support. So we move on. Novak Djokovic back. Belgrade. Barcelona, which I really hope Tsitsipas does not play to give himself rest, to make sure he's fresh when he goes to Roland Garros, but we will see about that. And uh, should be uh, another exciting week. I uh, I have no plans for post-match videos, but if anything major happens, I will, uh, I will be around and likely will have some videos based on whatever happens next week. Hope you enjoyed, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.